This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Good show lined up for you today. In the second half of our show, we will visit with one of the members of the Indians Baseball Operations Department who received a promotion this week as several promotions were announced. And the Indians have a new farm director, Rob Serfolio, takes over as the director of player development. He will oversee the minor league system as James Harris, who had been in that role for several seasons, has been promoted to an assistant general manager position. So congrats to James Harris, and we'll get the uh, the background on Rob Serfolio, an interesting path that he has taken to his current position, and he will oversee a farm system that has really come to the forefront and been such a key for the franchise for quite some time. So that's coming up in the second half of our show. But when we return and get started, we will visit with Dan Dickerson, radio voice, fine broadcaster for the Detroit Tigers, talk about his path to a major league broadcasting job with the Tigers for quite some time now that took him through the state of Ohio after being born and raised in Michigan just outside of Detroit. So some good stuff coming from Dan Dickerson after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. I tell you what, folks, strap yourselves in. We're going to be here a while. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you, and we are joined now by the great play-by-play voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson, kind enough to join us. And uh, we're going to talk some baseball with Dan and uh, really kind of take a look at, at his career a little bit, some of the interesting things that, that he's been able to do. And and before you say, now, wait a minute, here's a guy who was born and raised not not too far outside of of the city of Detroit, but some really, really strong Ohio ties. He has some family down in the Akron area. And uh, Dan, you you spent your college days just outside Columbus down at Ohio Wesleyan, and uh, I imagine that was a, a, a real good time for you and, and a fun time for sure. Uh, coming down to Ohio, which I know is persona non grata sometimes for Michiganders, but um, but good for you coming to the great state of Ohio for college. Hey, that drive down 23, I, I memorized it. I can tell you that. Down to Delaware, Ohio. I loved my four years in uh, Delaware at Ohio Wesleyan. It was the perfect town for a small college. Uh, just great time. But that's where I got hooked on radio. You know, that's that was the beauty of going to a small college, a 10-watt radio station, 10 watts. Is that even possible? Yes. And so if you showed up, you got an airship. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> That's where I got hooked. And and how did the good folks at Ohio Wesleyan pull you out of the state of Michigan to, to come to school there? I wanted to get out of state, you know, just get away from home and and, you know, home life was fine. I had a great mom and dad. Uh, but I just wanted to, to get out of state and go to someplace new. I knew the big universities weren't for me. Um, and so they said, all right, let's look around the Midwest. And I looked at some smaller ones out east and um, just kind of a small liberal arts uh, school. And uh, so we toured all around Ohio, looked at Oberlin and looked at Ohio Wesleyan and Denison and all the, the small division threes and look at a few places in New York. I remember we went to Hobart, which was beautiful. Um, and then I think Ohio Wesleyan was the only one I got into. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that we appreciate the honesty, Dan. <laughs> Getting that right in the forefront of our, of our show today. Uh, so you mentioned it, they gave you an air shift on the station. What about games? When do you remember your your very first game that you were able to do at the oh, college I do. level? I do. That was a uh, so yeah. Nobody was doing Ohio Wesleyan battling bishop. I I thought well, this would be fun to try. And they're like, yeah, nobody's doing it. You you can you can do a game. And so it was a bit about the technology. There weren't <laughs> in the late seventies a lot of remote broadcasts. So it was probably my sophomore year. I'm sure it was where um so we had a phone line in the press box but i was on a card table above the press box uh calling the game for wsln radio and uh i do remember because you know the fun part of our jobs right you have to learn how to come up with a system so i had no idea how to call a football game so i (laughs) i bought some hard like poster board but it was thick so I could cut out 22, probably 30 to 35 little squares for each team. And then I would like rotate them onto my board. Can you picture this? So I've got 11 little squares that I would move off to the side and then move onto the board. If player came into the game and had little bios on each little square, horrible system, horrible. 
windy day. They'd blow all over the place. So <laughs> don't ask me why I thought that was a good system. But, hey, you have to learn. So I do remember calling uh, those early games. I actually have surviving tapes, which are great for uh, historical archive purposes uh, <laughs> that I play for. I teach a little broadcast play-by-play class at Michigan State. I'll play those tapes for them just to say, okay, this is how it can start. And if you really work at it, it can get better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and back then, of course, preparation-wise, and you said late 70s, uh, nowadays we just jump online, go on the Internet, and find everything we need. And, and I'm sure that came into play back then, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Pre-Internet, what did you do? <laughs> I know. I don't even remember. There had to be game notes, but think how probably prehistoric those were. I mean, it was probably some stats and i don't remember looking at anything i mean what did you do get them sent in the mail i don't even remember i don't remember if there were even game notes there had to be something to look at rosters yeah there must have been a roster that they gave you think about that though you couldn't just go online and look it up obviously so our sports info department whatever it was called back then probably had you know the latest uh mimeograph (laughs) from from otterbein that you could look up I had something. I remember being, you know, somewhat prepared. I think the game that I always remember is, so I would actually call the head coaches if I could get them and get them to the phone and try to take some notes. And I remember we played, I want to say it was Denison that had a single wing offense. I'm like, okay, it's a single wing. You know, sounds like an old style offense. Didn't bother to look up what it means and what it means for a play-by-play person to try to call a game with an offense that is built on misdirection and deception. (laughs) I had no idea where the ball was most of the first half. (laughs) I mean, you would hear the snap and then you'd hear, "Mm," because I got it wrong about six times in a row. Finally, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to lay out here on radio (laughs) and wait to see where the actual ball is because three guys have just now been tackled and I have no idea who has the ball. (laughs) <laughs> did they have a good team that year they didn't have a good team for any year that i was one year they started like oh and seven they've been outscored 152 to seven or something i mean i didn't do all those games but they were awful when i was there but did i have fun you bet basketball was actually pretty good and they pulled a big upset of wittenberg one year in the ncaa uh, playoffs and that that was a lot of fun that's where i really i think that's where i really got hooked on play-by-play was doing college basketball. Dan Dickerson joining us, the fine play-by-play voice of the Tigers. And uh, Dan, you you follow one of the best ever, Ernie Harwell. And I saw a note that the first time you had a chance to, to call an inning with the Tigers, you just happened to be stopping by the booth to visit Ernie and, and he threw you on unprepared? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> he did give me, so I'd never called baseball in the minor leagues. I had only done practice tapes down at Tiger Stadium. During the 90s, I got hired at uh, WWJ, the all-news station, in 88. Early 90s, I wanted to try my baseball play-by-play because I'd never done it. And I love baseball. I wanted to see what it was like. So I would go down and practice. And then I remember calling Ernie at some point. I guess that, you know, I'd met him, but I didn't really know him. But I guess we all felt we knew Ernie Harwell, so... Those were the days where you could literally pick up the phone and call Ernie Harwell. (laughs) 
And I asked him if he listened to my tape that I'd made it, you know, practicing at Tiger Stadium. He said, sure, why don't you come over to my house? So that began sort of a beautiful relationship. But I mean, think about that. So I go to his house and he listens to my tape and, you know, little little tidbits that I have, you know, socked away to this day. Probably the biggest, you know, little things like the ball's not down low, it's low. It's one less word, but it's it's better, right? Every word matters. Uh, little things like that and keeping score in blue and red ink. Every base runner is in red. So you have to constantly review how we got to this point in the game. And you can quickly look back over your scorecard and see where all the base runners are bunched or not bunched. Um, and that's something that I immediately adopted. But anyway, he was just so nice. And when I did my first Michigan broadcast, he wrote me a little one-sentence note. You know, heard your broadcast, thought it was terrific or something like that. So so we formed a friendship in the 90s. And then the last game at Tiger Stadium, as you can imagine, was <laughs> a big deal. They're closing it down in 99. Comerica opens in 2000. Um, I'm doing pre and post at that point on WJR. And my boss calls me in a few weeks before that game and says, hey, Jim Price, Ernie's partner then, my partner now, will be leaving the booth early to get ready for the postgame ceremony. Do you want to sit in with Ernie for the last 30 days? I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't know what I'm going to do, but yeah, sure. There's, I'll, I'll sit in the There's Price only one spot. correct answer on that, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a color analyst, but she, I can sure watch this game <laughs> from the best vantage point in the whole ballpark. Uh, I always tell people, think about how close those booths were. If you look at the top of the screen behind home plate in most ballparks, that's where those booths were at Tiger Stadium. That's how close you were. So uh, it turns out that I thought I was going to do an inning of play-by-play because Jim was going to leave an inning early, and then it turns out he wasn't. But I just stood in the booth. I was in the booth, which is – you know, tiny, but I'm standing next to the old engineer, Howard Stitzel, and listening to Jim and Ernie, because I don't want to repeat anything that they might have said when I go on the air. I still don't know what I'm doing. During Jim's inning, Ernie stands up and, you know, he'd often uh, wander out of the booth during Jim's innings, and there wasn't a lot of back and forth. That was kind of the style that he grew up with. So anyway, he stands up and talks to me and says, so what's the plan here? <laughs> He's asking you. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, nobody's told Ernie that I'm going to be here? What? I mean, we're in the communication business. <laughs> and sometimes we don't do a great job of that. So I said, well, I think I'm supposed to join you in the top of the seventh and stay out of your way till the end of the game. <laughs> and he said, do you want to do an inning? I mean, think about this. This is an emotional big day for him, too. And it's an emotional day for everybody. And he's offering one of his last three innings at Tiger Stadium to me. And to this day, I get chills when I think about that. It's one of the most selfless acts <laughs> for one person to another. I said, I said, no, it's your last game at Tiger Stadium. He said, no, you want to do an inning? Well, I wasn't going to say no twice because I was ready. I thought I was going to do an inning. So... He says, okay, here's the plan. I'll come back on top of the seventh, which is his normal. Uh, that was how they divided the innings. I'll come back on top of the seventh. I'll do the top of the seventh and then introduce you. And you'll do the bottom of the seventh and the top of the eighth. Last game at Tiger Stadium. And he's giving me a full inning. So, 
And like I said, the, the style was not generally a lot of byplay with Jim and his partner, whoever that might be. But with me, I was like, folks, you're listening to the major league debut of Dan Dickinson. Dan, when was your first game here at Tiger Stadium? I mean, just put me at ease. I was feeling pretty good. But again, I'd never call baseball play-by-play live. <laughs> but he put me at ease. We had a great time. And then I got to witness him, you know, top of the ninth innings, saying, you know, his goodbye to Tiger Stadium in the top of the ninth, flashballs going off all around the stadium. Uh, just a, an amazing scene. And that one inning, I don't think there's any question, helped me get the job the next year. I'd already expressed an interest uh, in, you know, I think I told him, hey, I'm here anyway. If Ernie ever gets sick, I'm here. You know, he'd missed like three games in 60 years or something. So, <laughs> so the next year, that, that one inning helped get me into the booth as his middle innings guy. And uh, that was amazing, an amazing thing. At times when, when you follow a legendary announcer, it's, it's hard for, for that next guy. But because of the way uh, he brought you in, did that soften yes. that quite a bit for you? Oh, no question, because I saw what happened when he had been let go in the early 90s, and they brought in two strangers. One was Rick Riz, who is a good friend to this day, the Seattle Mariners guy, radio and TV, and one of the great nice guys in the game, and Bob Rathman. And they both came in from out of town, and they were strangers, and they had a different style. They had no chance. They had no chance. And Bob, as you know, is a, a Rick is a terrific announcer. So, but it was a different style. His style is very close to Dave Niehaus's style, I would say. Well, Dave Niehaus was Seattle's voice for so long. So the fact that I was Ernie's middle innings guy for three years, it wasn't a big leap and it helped me tremendously. First of all, to have kind of, I think, his endorsement to get the job once he retired after the 02 season. But I was a familiar voice at that point in the Detroit market, having called Michigan football, Michigan basketball, and now Tigers baseball for three years. That was a lot of spec. It wasn't a slam dunk. <laughs> they they dragged this thing out until, you know, he announced it in March that he was retiring, and they dragged it out till December before they hired me. But there's no question that familiarity helped being in the booth with him for three years. Uh, helped tremendously. Dan Dickerson, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right, Rosie, take care. That's Dan Dickerson, the fine play-by-play voice of the Detroit Tigers. Stay tuned. More to come after this on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us. And as we mentioned in our show open, the Guardians organization announced earlier this week several promotions and changes of responsibilities in the baseball operations department, most notably from our standpoint this week, James Harris, who has been a good friend of the show, bringing us up to date on the Guardians minor league system on a regular basis in his former role as farm director for the franchise. He's been promoted to an assistant general manager's position and taking over as the head of the minor league department is Rob Serfolio, now the director of player development for the Guardians. Rob joined the organization back in 2015 after graduating from Yale. He played baseball there, and he's previously filled roles with the, uh, the franchise in both player development and amateur scouting. And he now takes over the day-to-day leadership of the minor league system He's uh, really had his hand in a lot of different things and has had that opportunity to, to learn the game from the ground up on the baseball operations side. And when we had a chance to catch up with Rob Serfolio earlier this week, he talked about just how excited he is to oversee the Guardians minor league system. It is. It's, uh, it's really exciting, exciting for the staff and, and the players. And, um, you know, re- really excited to get rolling here hopefully soon. And just want to thank you, Rosie, for, uh, for having me on and, and looking forward to chatting with you. And one of the things we've been able to do this offseason is really take some deep dives into uh, the personalities and, and the paths that, that different people have within baseball. And, and yours, I don't want to say there's a, a stock answer to, to how you get from point A to point B anymore because it seems like there's so many different ways. And, and that's a really positive thing, I think, for anything, any organization. And for you, we'll start at the end of your college career. You went to Yale and were a pitcher in the Ivy League. At the conclusion of that, you're able to join the Indians. How do you make that transition from from Yale to professional baseball working in a front office? That's a great question, and I'll lead off my answer with a little bit of dumb luck. <laughs> I think there was uh, you know, obviously a lot of people that I would have to give thanks along that path, and as you noted, I think there were certainly some some obscurities to the way that, that I got to the path. You know, I studied medicine in school and got drafted really late as a junior and was hoping to have an opportunity to play at the end of my senior year and, and got hurt. And really in that gap between when I was rehabbing and when I was taking my MCAT as a, as a pre-med student um, in college, I really had a lull of of, uh, of no job at the time right after graduation. And, and thankfully my, my college coach had, had reached out to me and, uh, thought that potentially looking into a career in, in baseball on, on the front office or, you know, support coaching side of things might be something I'd be interested in. And luckily we had a couple former alumni that were able to kind of give me a little bit of information. And, and that's where the dumb luck rolls in, where I, I really just stumbled upon uh, an opportunity that the Indians had as an internship and um, was grateful to, to kind of trick them to, to bring me on in an intern capacity and was, uh, was fortunate to get a taste of a lot of different areas in baseball ops and, and support player development and the draft. And, and ultimately that was, uh, was, was lucky enough for that to lead into a full-time opportunity afterwards. So, you know, I think 
a lot of that is is due to to the group that we have here and, and learning from a lot of people that uh that have have moved on to to big successful jobs like you know Derek Falvey and Ross and Carter Hawkins and obviously you know learning from James the last couple of years as he's moved into the AGM role I think it's just a, a huge credit to the group that we have here and how much emphasis they put on developing people um, and, and trying to do that, you know, in, in, in the best way as possible. It makes it a lot easier when you have some great examples uh, to learn from, like like Chris, Mike, and, and the rest of the group that we have. You mentioned all those names. And not being in the business, when you're looking around, how much did that come into play? Maybe some knowledge that, that you learned from other people about the reputation that the Indians have on that front office side for for really developing some some talented front office people. Yeah, absolutely. And that was certainly a huge part of it. And I think especially when I had the opportunity to meet the group in the various interviews and, you know, one of the first people I met was, was Matt Foreman on the phone and just hearing about the ways that, that he thought about things and and asked questions and just felt like there was a lot of similarities in values. And I think the, the public perception obviously speaks for itself and then being able to actually see that in person and, and feel the action behind that about them really leaning into to each staff member's development and how that just leads to different opportunities. If you kind of put your head down and, and, and try and contribute to the team as best as you possibly can. And, and like I said, you know, I think just incredibly lucky to have gotten that first opportunity and then be in a really incredible environment where you're able to see how people behave and, and try and, uh, mold that and adapt their skills to to yourself and you know have been lucky enough to to continue to to be a part of that for the last several years and you know i'm I'm really excited to to be able to to move into this new role to continue to try and do that with with the group here in cleveland and then with our coaches and players on on the ground you mentioned being a kid from down south so many players who who play for a college in the northeast are from the northeast so they they know what they're getting into <laughs> weather-wise and things like that you grew up in alabama and and the pluses going to yale are obvious academically and and things like that but for you what did you have to overcome when when it became a you know a reality that you could go there wrap your head around moving north especially growing up down south I think I had never played a game below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and that changed really quickly when our first uh, spring practice on February 1st was about six degrees on a turf field with a two-foot pile of snow behind it. So I think the first change was uh, running the the nearest sporting goods store and loading up on cold weather gear. But that was certainly a transition and, and luckily got used to that pretty quickly as, you know, we practiced outside all the way through the winter, but you know, that was uh, is obviously an, uh, an initial hurdle. And um, luckily as the spring goes on up in the Northeast, it's beautiful. And, and like I said, just, you know, having my family kind of have Northeastern roots, I had a little bit of feel of, of what that might look and feel like, but uh, certainly that transition was, was uh, a lot different than what I was accustomed to playing in from a weather standpoint growing up. Rob Serfolio joining us. He's the Guardian's new director of player development, and he started his career with the franchise back in 2015 as an intern. And uh, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff have both said when when they first started, uh, they became experts at the copy machine and, and things like that, you know, things that you wouldn't <laughs> think would lead down the road to uh, making trades and, and building a ball club and all that kind of good stuff. When you first 
entered the building, Progressive Field, and, and began working. What were some of the things that, that you needed to do just to get started and, and get your foot in the door? Yeah, well, I'd like to first start off that answer that unlike Chris and Mike, I probably don't have the adjective or uh, descriptor of, of expert of anything, but um, certainly similar to those guys, spent some time around the copy machine or running to go get food for the group or setting up orders. You know, I think coming into to a new team environment, like anything that that I could do to, to provide value, whether if that was on the extreme margins, like, like early on to, to, you know, moving into some different responsibilities afterwards, but alluded to this earlier of, of just the group that we have here and, and not only the, the quality of people, but just how smart and how much has gone into getting the right people in house and, and trying to establish the right culture from, from top to bottom. I think when you're, in that and you feel that and you see it, it becomes really easy to try and adapt to that and, and mold your, your own personality and values and, and, and complement your weaknesses with your strengths to, to the group. And just couldn't have been more blessed to be around the people that I've been around here. And, and that's been, you know, just a, a huge treat. And I think been a, a massive aspect of, of my own development here and a credit to those guys that have helped build, build what this, what this organization is now and um, you know, trying to do my little part to, to amplify that outwards uh, you know, now in our player development department, whether it's with our staff or players. So what's been the most recent position that that's really helped you get to this point where, where you can be the leader of the department and, and really put your stamp on things? I'd say all of them. Okay. <laughs> I think even thinking back to, to my first, my first full-time position after an intern was, was really within the scouting domain. And, and at the time, you know, Brad Grant was the, the scouting director and, and Scott Barnsby, who's now leading the group was the assistant scouting director and, and Clint Longnecker, who I was working uh, side by side has, has certainly moved on to, to his own accomplishments as well. And <clears throat> for me, you know, just learning the ropes early in that role, especially with, being able to aid in our process on what we're looking for in players, whether that's on field or off field, just gave me a, a tremendous background in the important values and characteristics that we want our players to have here. And again, that's, that's both fundamental and just character wise and being able to kind of then apply a lot of those to, okay, now we have the players. How are we working on top of that and, and hopefully helping them get from the lowest levels of the minor leagues to the major leagues has been incredibly helpful for that. And, and again, I think credit to our group, like the last couple of years in, in an assistant director role have, have had the opportunity to, to kind of, you know, take a shot at, at leading various things, whether it's off season camps or, you know, certain systems and processes that we have during the course of the year. I, I think that's a huge credit to, to Carter and James for, for giving me those opportunities to, experiment and, and figure out what that might look like if I ever uh, made the transition. And, and I think that that experience was invaluable in being able to, to just learn on the fly and, and make a ton of mistakes and, and that kind of being the expectation to, to make errors and, and learn from them. And I think we ask our players to do that all the time. And it's similar on the staff side of things of, of getting your hands dirty and, and trying to learn as much as you possibly can from, from what you've seen from others and then apply that uh, in your own actions and, and just continue to get better each day. So I, I think huge credit to our group for kind of giving me more and more as, as I've gone along and like a real opportunity to kind of 
test and develop uh, for a role that you're not actually in yet. So um, just I'm really appreciative to, to our group for, for kind of giving me those opportunities over the last couple of years. And you mentioned getting a player from the day they, they are drafted, trying to get them to the major leagues and what that takes. Technology, processes, it, it seems like it changes in a heartbeat. Now, I can tell you my first job in baseball was with Kinston back uh, when they were the Indians single A team in 1991. And, and after the game, the manager would just call into a voicemail so-and-so went two for four, and three of the four were hard hit, and there was a ground out, and the pitcher threw this many pitches and just left a voicemail of about five minutes with a summary of the game. And you rarely saw, occasionally you would, uh, <laughs> see a roving instructor or uh, you know, mental skills was not part of it. Strength and conditioning was just getting going a little bit. But again, that was right when Mark Shapiro, I think, was was the farm director, and he was starting to, to turn things in a, in a different direction. And, and now the Indians are very highly regarded with their farm system. How much have you seen it change even in the years that, that you've been with the organization in terms of, of development and, and getting players to the major leagues and doing the best for them along the way? Absolutely. I think you nailed it. It's uh, The exponential growth has been pretty substantial and i think that's a huge credit to our group and, and like i said having just great people around to to help facilitate the work that we're doing with our players i think some of the primary areas in which i've seen us continue to grow and adapt and change is the easy one is even five six years ago the amount of data and information that we had to kind of partner with a player and support that player on what it is they're working on on the field has grown tremendously. I think you rewind the clock five, 10 years ago, like coaches oftentimes had to maybe guess a little bit more than, than what they do now, whereas we currently just have so much information and, and obviously everyone has that information, but how we actually use it is, is the competitive advantage I think for, for any team. And so having a staff and, and group of coaches that, have been able to adapt and kind of mold what they've known for long periods of time that have made players successful and, and kind of solidify that even further with some of the the information that we now have to, to our advantage to be able to help just bridge the gap and, and make things, uh, you know, a little bit more scientific and structured because we can, which has been a, you know, a massive, uh, a massive advantage for, for any team out there that, that has really dug into the technology and the information. So I think that's a big one. I, I think the other big one that I think we're, you know, we're still learning and growing in this space, but it's been really fun to dig into over the last couple of years is, is just, teaching and coaching principles and best practices and and what that means for actually developing skills so the space of skill acquisition and 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 how a coach or you know a support staff can help a player really understand what it is we're trying to move the needle on and then setting up the best environments for for those skills to to grow and develop quickest and most effectively um, that's been really fun and again huge credit to our coaching group that have really drove a lot of the research and interest in that space and uh, it's been fun to kind of play a, a helping hand in a lot of the things that that we've done to capitalize on that and, and look to put in place whether it's the lowest level of the minor leagues all the way up to to triple a and um, i think you know maybe the third thing i threw out there is is just how holistic that effort has become. And I think, you know, maybe 10, five, 10 years ago, it was 
what everyone thinks of when they think of player development is, okay, well, what's that guy doing on the field? But there's so much more that goes to that, whether it's our support on the the mental skills side of thing. And, and we've been lucky enough to bring in some incredible experts even recently um, to help support, you know, what we're going to do from a programming standpoint in that space, both with players and staff, but then also life skills and, and education. And we just have incredible people that are helped leading these efforts that are maybe like, you know, overlooked because they're not the things that happen between the white lines, but they're so incredibly important for molding and growing 18, 19, even 15, 16 year olds in the international side of things. So everything that we can do to support our players from what, what people see when, when the cameras are on during game time to, to everything that people don't see kind of behind the scenes of, of setting up bank accounts and helping them with schoolwork and, and learning English. There's so many pieces of the puzzle, which, which again, I think is just a, a massive credit to the group that we have here that, that all kind of pull from the same side of the rope to, to hopefully get as many players as we can from, from the minor leagues to the big leagues and, and out on progressive. Well, it is mid January, Rob. And as James Harris said before, you and most in the front office do, the games, yes, they are in the spring and the summer, but especially player development, it, it is a year-round thing now, and, and I know yep. that uh, you have a lot going on, uh, even now, before uh, heading out to Goodyear and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, thanks so much for the time, and uh, congratulations on the new position, and we'll look forward to talking to you during the summer. I appreciate it, Rosie. Looking forward to it, and thank you again for, for taking the time to have me on. That's the Guardians' new director of player development, Rob Serfolio. Stay tuned. More to come after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. If you love the sports like me, you get annoyed with your team or player. So Progressive's going to help take your mind off your team or that player for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they lost that thing recently, think about Progressive letting you compare our direct rates side-by-side with competitors to easily find the lowest option. Don't worry, your sports ball team or player will get them next time. Hope this distraction from Progressive about easily comparing rates was helpful to not think about that last game or match or season. I mean, even though I love sports ball. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Jim Rosenhouse back with you on Guardians Weekly for our final segment. And as always, we remind you that you can hear our show each week on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. You can also listen to our program as a podcast in podcast form wherever you download your favorite podcast or check it out online at cleeguardians.com. That's going to do it for our show each week. Thanks so much for tuning in as always. And always, we thank Brian Matze for helping to put together our show back at Command Center. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.